Welcome to the Dimensions book series by K. Arwen. An extraordinary tale of an inner journey and a battle of good against evil. In this podcast, the heroine Kaya tells her own story from book one, The Awakening. Our journey begins on the Scottish Isle of Skye. Parallel realities interconnect and interweave. Step in and enter Dimensions. Meg fastened her boat to the wooden jetty and walked up the track to Morag's cottage. The door was unlatched and pushing it open, Meg could see Morag standing, leaning against a chair as if in a state of shock. There was a man dressed in a riding kilt covered in mud and dust standing next to her. Meg recognised the broad outline of the figure instantly. Owen? Owen turned to face her, his face looking weary and drained of colour. He'd clearly been on the road for a while and had ridden hard to get back. "'What is it?' Meg whispered, dreading the response. She took the remedy she'd made for Morag out of her bag and placed it on the table. "'I have some bladderwack here. I'll make the tea.' She crossed to the fire and put a kettle over it to boil, and taking the seaweed out of the pouch in her bag, she began to chop it on the chopping board. It'll help with the shock, she said simply. There was a noise at the door and it opened to show Zack's smiling face. Hello, would you like any fish today? came his cheery voice. Owen smiled. Another great catch, Zack. I'm sure Morag would love a fish. Can you leave it on the table? You'd best run along though as Ma isn't feeling very well at the moment. Tell your folks I'll call in later. Zack took the biggest salmon from his basket and placed it gently on the table. I think Morag will like that one, he said. I hope she feels better soon. Morag looked at him and smiled. You're a good lad, she said. Thank you. Zack left and Morag sank into the chair with a sigh. The tea made, Meg poured Morag a cup of the steaming drink and handed it to her. She sipped it with her eyes closed, but slowly and surely the colour started to come back into her face. Meg took a deep breath. Inside, she already knew what they were going to say. Her prophecies were about to come true. She could feel it. The shadow men were mocking. She could also feel their energy drawing close. What is it? she found herself asking. Owen looked at her intently. There's no easy way to say it, he replied. We've all got to leave. 
the entire village. Well, the entire village is being cleared and penalties will be severe if any refuse. Meg felt sick. And where are we to go? Canada. Canada! exclaimed Meg. Canada? That's outrageous! Why Canada? That's what we've been dealt, Meg. Canada. No choice. But how can the entire village go to Canada? It's bad enough the villagers have to leave their homes and stay somewhere else in Scotland. But to have to go to Canada? Meg looked at Morag, who had paled in her chair, suddenly looking very frail and and sick. Owen's thoughts were written all over his face, and he looked at Meg in despair. They both knew that Morag would never make the trip. Three days later, and Meg was hurrying along the path back to Morag's cottage. It had been three days since the news and Morag's health had plummeted. Meg was becoming increasingly worried. Owen had travelled over to the mainland to see if he could arrange for Morag to go and live with some distant relatives. But Meg knew that she would never agree to go. She had lived in the village her entire life. To be made to start all over somewhere else was, well, it was quite frankly cruel. Meg let herself into the cottage. Morag looked to be asleep by the fire. She looked weak clearly not having eaten for the last three days, and her face was pale and drawn. It was Morag, however, who broke the silence. We both know I won't make it. Meg paused. You don't know that. I've lived here my entire life, Lassie, as did my mother and her mother. I don't know anything else. Morag sat back in her chair and sighed. Meg opened her bag and took a remedy she'd made. This will help you sleep, Morag. It's made from chamomile and valerian. Thanks, Lassie. I've been troubled by nightmares. I'm feeling worn down with everything. Meg went over to the chair and, kneeling, took Morag's hand in her own. Look, why don't you reconsider? I'll look after you. I'm sure that you'll make the crossing to Canada and we can start all over again, the three of us. Morag smiled. You're as kind as you are positive, Meg, but my mind is set. The thought of being on a rolling ship, crossing the ocean, well... It fills me with dread. It's not my journey to take. I'm feeling... I'm feeling the cold more and more these days. Hmm. Meg knew in her heart that Morag was right. She crossed over to the fire and began to put logs on it until it roared into life. Well, at least we'll be warm today, she said. At that point, the door swung open and Marybeth entered looking troubled. Please come to Canada, auntie, she said. Not you too, exclaimed Morag. Meg here was just trying to get me to reconsider. 
I can't make it to Canada, Lassie. It's your journey to take. You'll do well in Canada, I'm sure. I can see you, I can see you growing up there and, and being happy and, and maybe marrying a handsome young man someday. Aunt, exclaimed Marybeth, blushing. Morag chuckled. Come now, let's talk about something nice. What news do you have for me? None. But, well, perhaps we could tell a story. Morag glanced at Meg, who was now busy brewing morty and buttering the scones that she'd brought with her. Aye, lass, a story would be good. What one shall we tell today? Oh, that's easy, replied Marybeth. Iana the sea kelpie. Not again, said Morag. Well, if that's the case, I think you can tell it to me today. I think I should like to hear you tell it. Marybeth sat at her aunt's feet and began to tell the tale of the sea kelpies racing through the water. Meg listened, feeling more and more uncomfortable. It was as though the words were pulling at her heart and and at her mind teasing her, dancing at the edge of her memory just beyond the scope of her grasping their true meaning. She began to feel more and more claustrophobic and in need of air. I'm going to leave you two storytellers to weave your own magic, she said, kissing Morag on the cheek. And she picked up her shawl and left the, left the cottage. Outside, the, the weather was closing in. The rain started lashing against Meg's face as she walked down to the shore to where she'd left her boat. It was going to be an interesting row, that was for sure. She knelt on the jetty, trying to untie her boat, but the water was rough and the boat strained on the rope and had tightened the rope so that it was near impossible to undo. Meg tugged at the knot, her fingers turning red with cold. She muttered under her breath and got into the boat in in an attempt to face away from the rain and continue to tug at the knot. Suddenly it came free and Meg fell back into the water as the boat lurched violently away from the jetty. She opened her mouth in shock but it was instantly filled with water. The ice cold gripped her as her clothes became wet and heavy, threatening to drag her under the surface. The lock was rough in the rain and waves washed over her and Meg found herself tiring quickly as she tried to stay above the water and grab hold of the jetty. She reached out with her hand for the wooden post but her fingers were so cold now she could barely use them. Then she felt a sharp pain as the wooden boat tossed by the waves hit her on the back of her head. And then the world went black. Meg? Owen's voice was urgent. Meg? Meg felt her body being lifted and carried. She slipped in and out of consciousness as she was taken back through the village to Morag's cottage. She was aware of being wrapped in a blanket and felt the heat from the fire starting to soak into her body. And slowly but surely, she began to warm and feel revitalised. Meg, are you okay? Owen was at her side, holding her hand. Meg, I found you on the jetty. What on earth happened? 
Meg was confused. She felt dazed from the blow on her head and, well, she knew that it could be that the blow was muddling her mind and thoughts, but but even so, I wasn't on the jetty, she said. You were, you were laying on the jetty. That's where I found you, replied Owen. No, I was in the water. I was drowning. I couldn't get out. I couldn't get out. And the boat hit me on the back of my head. Owen glanced at Morag before speaking. Meg, he said in a quiet voice, your boat, your boat was tied to the jetty and you were out of the water when I found you. The Modern Day Hi, Kaya here. I've taken up residence in Wilma's Cottage. (laughs) I really love this quaint croft house. It's kind of nestled into the side of the hill, just above a loch. It's really strange. I've not been here long, but already I feel really at home. And I've been down to the loch shore and taken a track and found some amazing runs across the moor and through the forest. It's a fantastic place for exercising and stretching my legs and really feeling close to nature. I've just come back from a run and I've showered and making myself a coffee and I'm sitting on the front step just enjoying the sun. And then I can see Wilma waving in her car as she turns into the drive. She pulls up outside. Hi Wilma, I call as she gets out of her car. Fancy a coffee? Aye, if you have nothing stronger, Wilma replies with a chuckle. What a day. I fetch another cup and take one of the wooden chairs and carry it outside for Wilma to sit on. And she sits down with a sigh. Ah, it's good to get the weight off, she says, taking the coffee cup that I hand to her. Has it been a long day, I ask? Any more incidences with squealing phones? Wilma looks serious. No, worse, she says. I give her an inquiring look. I've never seen anything like them, she says, looking at me. Faces in thin air, wicked faces, and they swooped into the cafe when some customers were arguing. Wilma shudders as she recollects what she's seen. And they swarmed around people like bees around a honeypot and they seemed to make the customers worse. They seemed to become even more angry and aggressive and that attracted more of these faces. Faces, I ask. What, people's faces? Aye, all people and and all the same. All the faces were exactly the same. No faces, no bodies, just faces, like faces in the air. That's weird, I say. First the squealing from from the phones and now faces that seem to make or provoke more aggression and, and negative emotion. Do you think they're connected? Wilma tuts. I don't know what to think anymore, she says. If I hadn't seen the faces and heard the squealing, well, I'd have just said that People were ignorant, impatient and downright rude. But as it is, 
she takes a sip of her coffee and looks across the loch. To be honest, Kaya, it all seems a bit ridiculous sitting here in the sun like this. I mean, perhaps, perhaps I did just imagine the faces. Maybe I've just had enough of pushy customers today. I don't think so, I reply. I can't help but feel there's a reason for these things happening. A storm cloud comes over and it suddenly starts to rain. Wilma finishes her coffee and hands me the coffee cup back and I'll call round later, but you're happy, lassie. I smile. Very, I say, and take my coffee cup and things quickly inside. As the rain starts to lash down. Later that evening, I'm wrapped up in bed, feeling snug and cosy, writing in my journal. It feels good to have this space, I write. This is the first space that I've had to myself for a long time, other than my van. And I'm suddenly aware that I need this sense of space for my sanity. The world of hubbub and needing noise and distraction in order to feel safe isn't for me. It it doesn't compute. Hmm, I like things simple. I close my journal and reach across to the light. I turn it out. It's really raining hard outside and the rain's lashing against the cottage window. As much as I love wild camping and I love my van, I'm really grateful to be inside a room tonight and have the cottage around me. It's Over 200 years old, Wilma says, and it's certainly got lots of character. The rain outside is persistent, and I huddle down in the bed covers, pulling them nearly over my head. Downstairs, the the dogs are really quiet. They seem to love it here too. It's really reassuring having them. It's They're like they're an alarm system, and if they're settled, then I know that everything's okay. A door starts to rattle, but surely it's only banging in a draught. There's no need to get out of bed. But the noise continues, and as much as I try to ignore it, the more I try and disregard it, the more it seems to draw my attention. Oh, drat! I throw the covers off the bed. The wooden floor's cold beneath my bare feet. I grab at a throw rug that's on my bed and wrap it around myself. I don't bother with the light switch and I feel my way across the bedroom to the doorway and out onto the landing. The rattling door is downstairs. It's really strange. I'm sure I closed it properly. Hmm. I start to make my way down the stairs. I don't know why I don't switch the light on, but I don't. And instead, I feel for the stairs and the steps with my feet, curling my toes around each step to make sure I don't fall over. I don't exactly make it easy for myself all the time. I get to the bottom of the staircase and it's funny, I suddenly have this impulse to try the symbol in the same way that Jim did earlier. I reach out with my hand and move my fingers through the air, expecting nothing to happen. But 
there's a sudden pulse and a rush of energy that shoots along the corridor and breaks the glass in a picture frame on the wall as it begins to form a portal. I suddenly and hurriedly drew the symbol again and to my relief the portal stops and contracts back to nothing. I stare at the now empty corridor for a moment and looking at the glass on the floor and then, almost in a trance-like state, I I cross to the front door. I open the, the door and I draw the symbol again, this time directing it outside the cottage. And slowly a, a portal appears again. I don't think twice this time and without any hesitation I step through. I'm wary, knowing what I bumped into last time, but this time I don't seem to be in a desert. I seem to be in some kind of a dark pit. It's still night, but I can make out the sides of the holes in the far distance all around me. And the rock that I'm standing on is like a dark brown and hot to the touch. Above me, the sky is dark with the night, but... There's menacing clouds that seem to be a mustard yellow colour and they move across the sky. Well, wherever I am, it certainly doesn't feel like it's on earth. Reminds me of what Jim said once about portals leading to other dimensions. Maybe he's right. Anyway, I start walking forward and promptly stub my toe on a rock that's projecting up from the floor. Well, if I'm dreaming, then certainly that pain's going to wake me up. I wait, but nothing changes. Well, so much for it being a dream then, I think, as I continue to walk across the floor to the centre of the pit or crater, whatever it is. The landscape's broken up by these strange rock structures that have the appearance of huge termite nests. Some of these turrets have trails of anonymous black smoke rising up from them and it's, it smells like sulphur and it kind of hovers above the ground like the morning mist would above a river when it hasn't had time to burn off in the sun. It's funny, as I walk, although this place is really strange and alien, it also has kind of a familiarity. Well, I'm a strong person and I'm ready to face whatever it is that this place has got to offer. Take a deep breath and as I steady my nerves, I start to feel more curious than afraid. My feet are almost silent on Whatever it is that I'm walking on, it's kind of a relief. At least my footsteps won't attract any unwanted attention. Yet, even though I think that, instinctively I know that I'm being watched. I can feel a hmm, a prickly heat of apprehension running down my neck, a giveaway that something's not quite right. And the tension is creeping down my spine. Breathe, Kaya, I say to myself, 
just breathe. I take slow, deliberate breaths and consciously send the air into my diaphragm and solar plexus chakra to help me feel calm and more centered. And then I send energy from my solar plexus into my energy field and extend it all around me like an orb. The area around me suddenly starts to glow with like an aqua blue light. That's weird. I haven't noticed it do that before. Hmm. The subtle light is enough to pierce the, the darkness of the crater. And I can, I can see more now. It's almost like eyes are staring at me through the rocks, millions of eyes. I'm reminded of an experience I had once when I was scuba diving at night. It had been really uncanny. I'd gone scuba diving into the dark water with my torch and the torchlight lit up the eyes of shrimps and fish in the water. And it was as though I was surrounded by tiny, tiny dots of red all staring at me from the inky blackness and To be honest, this is pretty much the same. Only these eyes are larger and what's more, they they look like they're growing bigger by the minute. Oh my God, the entire landscape suddenly starts moving and unfurling and enormous tentacle-like limbs are shifting and they remove to reveal one enormous pair of eyes about two feet diameter in front of me. I seem to be standing on some enormous creature and it seems to have an uncanny resemblance to a giant squid. I stand like a statue, resigned to the fact now that I am at this creature's mercy. Yet, it doesn't seem to have any intent on on attacking me. In fact, it appeared to be, for the moment at least, it's quite passive. And it's just staring at me. It's enormous, a bulk of hard rock-like skin encrusted with these towers that I now realise it breathes through. And the smoke which is emitted is actually its breath as it breathes out. So here I am, observing it. And here it is, observing me. Well... Such an enormous creature certainly commands respect, if nothing else. But what does it want? I take in the eyes before me and they feel like well, like they're looking into my soul, probing me for a response. Response to what? Let go. I hear the words clearly in my mind, a deep resonance like the rumble of rocks. Let go, the voice says again. Let go of all that you are. You need not fear me. Who are you? The eyes continue to look at me, gleaming now from the depths, as though they go on forever. It's funny, I wonder why I did feel so afraid of it initially, because now I kind of feel a warmth from this creature, like I've met it before. There are a few of us, the creature says, and and we're called many names. We're from the stars. But for today, you, you can call me despair. 
the creature breathes out for a moment and dark smoke, a mist, obscures its form. And as I watch, I realise that the smoke gives it the appearance of not having form at all, as though it's there but not there, like a no-thing, a nothing. Well, despair, if that's its name, seems to be able to be invisible, and yet it's present, solid, at the same time. Despair is enormous, and yet can seemingly disappear to nothing. I feel like I'm in the middle of an Alice in Wonderland story, although Alice never had to face anything quite like this. If you're despair, then hmm, I should be afraid of you, I telepathise. The eyes, they grow brighter, and I'm reminded of the stars on a, a beautiful starry night. Only the stars are clustering together to to make large glowing orbs. The light from, from this creature's eyes now seems to illuminate the, cra- the crater with a, a beautiful soft moonlight and there's a real sense of peace and I feel my, my body relax and become calm. Fear me? I feel the resonance of the creature's words flow through my body. Why would you fear me? Because of a word? Because of a name? You know despair, Kaya. You've felt despair and have explored the abyss. You have incarnated and faced your deepest sorrow. You have got to know despair and you have learnt from it. You do not need to fear despair. Because once embraced, despair leads to wisdom and growth. It's funny, memories suddenly flicker through my mind like a film, reminding me of all the times in my life when I've broken down in despair, crying, and when feelings seemed overwhelming, threatening to destroy me, seeming insurmountable, feeling as though I've got no way out. Yet, each time I I allowed the emotions to wash through me and had told myself to dig deeper, and Metaphorically, and in some case physically, I'd stood up and shaken myself off and moved forward. Sometimes those plans had been big, like quantum leaps, seeming quite drastic and life-changing. But more often than not, the plans had been minute, just a plan to get through the next day or even the next five minutes. But wisdom and growth? I must have been telepathizing my thoughts because the eyes of the creature suddenly seem to get bigger as though it's more focused. Despair leads to growth if you don't run from it. Despair can lead to questioning, to an opening of the soul to deeper levels of awareness and understanding, an awareness of self and an awareness of the self in relation to the quantum and the principles of the dimensions. You need to truly awaken to these now, Kaya. You need to remember. The creature pauses, as if changing its mind what to say. There is no longer balance within the realm of humanity, it continues at last, 
and if unchecked, it will lead to destruction. There has to be an end to the imbalance. I'm reminded of the faces that Wilma mentioned earlier. And the faces, are they part of the imbalance, I ask? There are those that amplify despair and use it to harm others, despair replies. They are misguided. The balance has to be shifted. They are manipulating the laws of nature. They are manipulating the will of man. They must be stopped. The words echo through my mind as the the voice fades away. Go, Kaya, I hear. Go and do not fear me. Do not fear the dark. Always remember that the dark is a doorway to potential answers that lead to growth. Despair won't ever destroy you unless you allow it, unless you give up on yourself. I suddenly feel weak and I stumbling, stumble back to the portal. I, I step through and draw the symbol to close it behind me before staggering into the cottage. There's an ice-cold draught blowing around me and I, I shiver. I, it feels like invisible hailstones are hitting against my body and I pull the rug tighter around myself and climb back up the stairs and get back into bed. Outside, the wind's howling and the rain is still pummeling against the window and I pull the bed covers right up, up under my chin as my mind starts to drift into sleep. I dream of multidimensional beings and elementals and giant squids made of stars that say that their name is despair and aliens. What is an alien anyway? Just a word for beings that aren't three-dimensional. But then, given what I'm starting to experience... What exactly is a third dimensional being? Thank you for listening. And so that you don't miss an episode of Kaya's journey from Dimensions the Awakening, then please follow the podcast K. Arwin Dimensions the Book Series. And for more information on the author, check out kayamia.co.uk. Until next time, I leave you with some Atlantean light language. <laughs>